0: Whether uh, we live in the best of times or worst of times so largely depends upon where our hope is and where our love is. I was um, mindful, I don't know if you pay attention to what's going on in the political world. Some of you do. Some of you can't help, but uh, be aware of it. But I was paying attention to uh, the congressional hearings with uh, uh, Pompeo last week. And it became obvious that there was not a sense of love and encouragement from some of the questions, but a real effort to attack and to to focus on the very things that make us mindful that our country is facing uncertain times. Almost a sense of hostility and hatred uh, defining a certain perspective. If you don't agree with me, we will attack you. And it was disturbing, uh, despite what political party you belong to. I'm an independent. To let you know if you're thinking I have a perspective on this. But the sense of dis-ease occurs when you sense that our political leaders attack and uh, try to do the, the best that they can at damaging other people. We're living in a time where love certainly is not the first effort we attempt to reach. Today's text deal with a sense of peace of mind in a really disturbing and troubling times. I suppose if you're in power, you would say they are the best of times. And if you're out of power, they are the worst of times. But are we focusing on those things that divide us, that encourage hostility, unbrokenness, and divisiveness? And are there voices out there that talk about healing and actually love and forgiving? I think we'd recognize the difference and still vote our conscience, and I would hope that would define us. But today's texts have to do with abiding in love and abiding in Christ, and uh, the, the way we might interpret this. And it certainly, it's been brought up in um, certain texts of the Bible that abiding has to do with making our home. You might hear Jesus say, "I make my home in you, and you make my home." I make my home in you, and my home is in you. And he's giving these words to the disciples as he's approaching Gethsemane. This is Easter. That's why we don't have any Old Testament readings. But the text today has to do with Gethsemane, but it is also for the disciples as they go out into a hostile world and try to proclaim a message of love and forgiveness and healing by abiding in Christ. He is our source of interpreting life and love and hope. Well, I was uh, mindful. I've done a lot of family camp experience. I how many of you have gone to church family camps? Ah, not as many as I thought. Most decisions for Christ are made uh, at some kind of church camp. I've done a number of them over the years, and uh, from as few as 15 people to as many as 150, I, I usually just one church. And I've closed with an exercise based on John 15, the very text we read this morning, where Jesus talks about Uh, vine and branches and how when we abide in him we we connect up with his love and we witness to that love and how when we're separated uh, as a branch is separated from the vine uh, it makes a difference in how we feel and how we cope with uh, our lives and what we hope for. Uh, I have people form a circle and shut their eyes and, and then I read this wonderful text of John 15, I am the vine and you are the branches and when you abide in me you bear much fruit and I've started it by encouraging them to put their arms around each other's shoulders, shut their eyes. and That's an important thing. You shut your eyes and listen to the text. Listen for God's word. Uh, the Hebrew listens for God. Uh, that's why my Hebrew professor, my professor of Old Testament said, Bob, you're a good Greek. Greeks have to see to understand. Hebrews have to listen uh, in, in theology. So I had them shut their eyes and listen to these words. and hold their arms around each other. But then I had them, with their eyes still shut, mind you, take a step backward and another step backward, until they're completely separated from the circle that was there before. And then I read these these additional thoughts that Jesus preaches in these, uh, this particular pericope. It said, apart from me, you you are only worth being thrown into the fire you can do nothing by yourself. No man is an island. Remember John Donne said that. Apart from me you can do nothing at all. Keep your eyes shut. Later on uh, they were to witness about what that felt like, to be separated from the group and the circle which they they experienced just moments before. But I went ahead and completed the, the, the reading of the text. When you abide in me and I abide in you, you bear much fruit. I had them take steps backwards, still with their eyes shut, and regain uh, the circle they were in before. And that, that's where it became kind of humorous because most people stumbled and laughed a little bit as they missed their mark. But they came back together and later shared the power of that, of that metaphor. metaphor is, has its value and power is that it points to something beyond itself, something larger and bigger uh, beyond itself. So when Jesus talks about being the vine and we being the branches, he's talking about something far larger in terms of our relationship with God. And so they came back together, eyes shut, and they witnessed later on to the power of feeling connected or being isolated one from another. The power of a metaphor. I am the vine, you are the branches. But we have to sometimes be pruned. <clears throat> Jesus <excuse> me, <coughs> and gathered his disciples together and says they're going to have trials, they're going to have hardships. (coughs) Excuse me. Oh, that is loud. Uh, And it's eventually going to not only uh, impact his facing the cross, but each of them in a very tense world. Remember, the Roman world was very hostile to the community of faith in Jesus. Uh, Here is this message of love they're called to proclaim, and he is witnessing to them that they're going to have troubles in the world in which uh, they face. And so he says, live in me as I live in you. Eugene Peterson especially uses the metaphor of home, uh, the image of I'm going to make my home in you and you're going to make your home uh, in me. Home, the image of being a part of Jesus is connecting with a sense of being at home in his love and peace. You know, the the secular world uses this language of hang in there uh, or take care. Uh, there's something nice about that. It's very polite, but it's not something that brings a sense of peace and connectedness. Uh, Jesus talks about abiding in him, of being at home with him. And John, in his epistle, you know, that I, I shared before, we don't use Old Testament readings in Easter time. We focus on, on uh, just the New Testament. Here, John, First John epistle and John the gospel are saying the same things, talking about love and abiding in him. But he goes further and he says, he who hates his brother or his sister does not abide in me, does not abide in my love, and they are what? Liars. The father of lies. Scott Peck wrote a great book on on Satan as the father of lies. They separate us from our relationship with God and one another. He who does not love does not know God. I wonder about what that says about a country that constantly uh, hates the other and uses hate as a means for proving truth. First John says, he who does not love his brother or sister is a liar if he says he loves God. Is the love of God being challenged in our country? It bothers me. It upsets me. It troubles me. Uh, Jesus said, there's going to be trouble in the world, but I'm in you, and you will have a peace that passes all understanding in the things you take on in the world. Shalom is what we claim as the people of God. Shalom is a sense of greeting. You've heard uh, people say shalom to you and perhaps they leave. There's a song that binds us together. Use it as a benediction in paradise a lot. Shalom to you. It's a sense of peace. It's a sense of wholeness. It is a wish for the betterment of your life and for the life of the world. It's a better saying, isn't it, than hang in there What's, what's the message we give to the world? Shalom to you. Shalom. It's a sense of the prodigal who has come home from a time of being deeply troubled, of finding uh, he's going the wrong direction, and he longs for home, and he's able to to come back. I was uh, mindful, I don't know if any of you ever heard of Corey Ten Boom, uh, in a book called Hiding Place. Uh, based on World War II and the hiding of Jews in a false wall in a in a building called the Bechi, a watch shop in Harlem, Holland. And I went to that, that place uh, and visited and thought about what the family faced, the distress of that terrible time when Jews were being killed and persecuted. And they had a false wall uh, and they hid Jewish people in that false wall when the Germans uh, came to, to seek out the Jews that may have been hiding or hidden by uh, the Dutch community. And it turns out the entire family eventually ended up in trouble uh, or in prison with the Germans because of their witness and because of what they were doing. The hiding place not only was a wall, but it was finding God's presence, a hiding place in times of deep distress and persecution, a place of shalom in the the world. Do we have that sense of shalom? Uh, Christ is our shalom. In all our living and all our loving, Christ be your shalom. That's how the, the word of that particular piece comes to us. Shalom. The story is like an anchor in the storms of life that we all face. Christ is our shalom. We can return home. Uh, Germans have a word for uh, that sense of returning home, or at least being in the living space. I love that word, gemütlichkeit. Uh, It's a sense of being in the right place, being in the right community, being in the right set of mind, even though uh, the world is is tense. It's coming into the living room, a very psychological image of of being at welcomed home, of taking off your shoes, of being accepted as you are. Uh, That's the sense of shalom that comes to us as we have an answer to the tensions of the world that confront us. A longing for home. I make my home in you. You make your home in me. That's what we're called to to do and be as God's people, especially in a time of change. Longing for home is a sustaining dream. I was uh, mindful there's times, however, when we are called to be pruned. I was uh, interested in preparing for the sermon this morning that when a per- obviously a botanist was talking about spring and the power of pan- I don't know if you know this about pansies. If you, I planted a few pansies, didn't know it, so I didn't pinch off the big pansy. But she said that if you pinch off, pinch off the biggest pansy to begin with, it causes all of the other pansies to bloom with greater uh, life. Did you know that? I didn't know that. I mean, well, of course, I planted the pansies and didn't pinch anything off. So now you know. Next year, if you want to produce greater number of flowers, Pinch off the first one that's blooming, or it would cause a greater kind of blooming power to take place. Now, with a sense of Jesus, <coughs> excuse me, talking about being the true vine, that the, the branches that are separate from the vine are no good. They just have to be cut off. I, they don't bear fruit. They can only be thrown into the fire. They have to be pruned in order to bear fruit. And closer to the, the vine you are, the better fruit that is produced. I am the vine. You are the branches, but the branches sometimes have to be pruned. I was uh, mindful of the story of an English pastor who had been missing one parishioner for quite a long time and he went to visit him in his house. He was a farmer didn't talk very much you ever been with those people are very quiet sometimes you don't have to say a lot me sat next to each other, neither one said a word for a long time. They just looked at the coal fire. And soon the pastor got up and he took the tongs and he went to the coal fire, and he took one of the burning coals and he moved it apart from all of the rest of the coals. And they watched as that separate coal cooled down and completely went out when it wasn't attached to the rest of the coals. No man is an island. No man lives alone. Each man's life is life to me. Each man's death is my own. There are times when we have to be pruned. (coughs) Excuse me. Hail spring. I want every time I cough like that. There is a time uh, in the life of the church. Uh, There's a time when St. Francis, for example, had to break from the teachings of the church and live completely apart from the the beauty and and the power of that sanctuary that one enters. And the beauty of this sanctuary, but this is not the church. He lived separate from the church. There comes a time when the church has to repent of some of the ways it lives. And he took a vow of poverty. There is another time when Calvin and Zwingli and Luther all split from the teachings of the church in order to make the church better and to challenge the teachings of the scriptures in the midst of the world in which we're living. They challenged the teachings of the body of Christ because we were no longer in relationship to Jesus himself. There comes a time when the church has to be pruned in order to bear more fruit. There's a nice little story that I I heard of it for the stress of our times, and particularly witnessed this week, of a little boy and a big bully who were having an argument. And uh, it looked pretty bad for the little boy. And finally, uh, in a tense moment, he drew a line in the sand. And he said, I dare you to cross that line. And so the bully thought, this is my moment, and he crossed the line, and then the little boy with imagination said, there, now you're on my side. (laughs) You know, using our imagination, if we think about what occurred last weekend, and I'm sure most of you saw it, where the dictator of North Korea and the president of South Korea got together. And I certainly did this little dance of going from one side of North Korea to the other side of South Korea together. Oh, bless your heart. Shalom to you, my friend. Yeah, when you say Hail Spring, I'm, I don't know if any of you have suffer. Oh, bless your heart. That's such a great thing. Thank you. I'll try not to be like some political leader who made a fool of himself drinking. Anyway, so I saw this and I witnessed to it, you know, and certainly there's going to be the speculators who say the North Korean dictator has no good intentions. He has all the reasons in the world to hate that particular man. And I think trust but verify certainly uh, is a, a, a thought worth uh, holding when we think about uh, Kim Jong-un. But also, there are those that use the imagination and they think about the possibilities of things that might be. And we have to decide which camp we're in. Imagination. Can we imagine a world at peace with itself as we seek a different kind of relationship with our former enemies? And you have a choice of living in one world that constantly looks for all the negatives and all the bad things we can find, or you can live with imagination of hope in the way that God calls us to see our world. And they crossed each other's line in the sand. And the word is that possibly... And probably there will be a peace document signed between the two Koreas. And the, the two separate worlds built on hostility maybe have a bridge towards peace. Well, we can say, fat chance. We can say, uh, maybe it will happen, but I doubt it. And all the negatives that, that kind of undergird the thinking of our world. Or we can be a people who believe in possibilities and believe that maybe, maybe uh, God is still going to work, even with uh, folks like Kim Jong-un. I was, uh, ever been to Berlin before the the wall came down? They didn't ever think that wall was gonna come down, but it finally did. And after 50 years of existing, the Korean uh, peninsula was technically at war for 75 years. And that may end, the two Koreas with a similar heritage, similar background, same language, maybe one country again. And the wall in Berlin came down one day, When people thought it wouldn't. Uh, Walls that divide need to be broken down that separate us one from another. Whose side are you on? I was uh, mindful of that little story. Drawing lines in the sand can separate us until one crosses and is now on our side. A vision of Shalom, a longing to believe that God's love for a world that is broken and divided is a possibility for healing and hope. Not only visualized, but one day realized. Shalom. A sense of peace in God's love, of hope, of greeting, of seeing in the other, uh, a child of God. Goodbye. Welcome home. Christ is our Shalom. If we let the power and purpose of His love help us to see the world again as it might be, and understand that we are as God's garden and God's vineyard. Let's pray. We pray, O God, for a sense of shalom that would settle our hearts in times of tension, that help us to see not only enemies and those that hold differing views from ours, to understand that each person has hopes and dreams. Uh, they may come from countries that are different, but have skies just as blue as ours and fields just as green. We pray for Korea to be one country again and that peace would break out and that it might be a witness to the world, that old hostilities can end with a sense of hope and love. We pray that we might remain in Christ. He who has said he is the light, he is the door, he is the good shepherd, he is the way, the truth, the life, and he is the vine. Give us a sense of being connected with him, Lord, as we think of your purpose and shalom for this world. For we ask it in his name. Amen.